Well, good morning. This is the first, I'm sorry, the last Sunday of Epiphany. And as always, the reading is about the transfiguration. So you, I sit and I ponder and I think, what could I possibly say that would be new to any of you about the transfiguration? You all know it so well. But I always find new things to read in the Bible and in the commentaries that I hadn't seen before. And the first one is that this is midway, the midpoint of Mark's gospel. So all first eight, nine chapters, Jesus has been slowly showing people who he is. Because after all, epiphany means show forth. So he's climbed up this mountain, whether it's figurative or literal, this way it's both, and it's the highest point in the Holy Land. It is 9,232 feet tall, Mount Hermon. So literally he has climbed a mountain and then figuratively through his showing the people that he's been with, who he is, he has shown forth. And he has told us that now that he has reached the mountain, he has to obviously go down. Because if I was, as I've always said for transfiguration, you can't stay on the mountain. You've got to come down. After a while, if you've had a wonderful experience, you can't stay there. As much as we may want to stay at the top, it's impossible. When you think about if you're married or you've had a long-term relationship with someone, those first heady days and years of being together or being married, you think, oh, this is never going to change. And then suddenly, one day, you're picking up dirty underwear off the floor, and you realize the bloom is off the rose, and you've come down off the mountain. You're with the regular people. We can't keep sustain that feeling as much as we may want to. And that is exactly what Jesus is telling the disciples when he takes them up Mount Hermon. Okay, you've seen who I am. You've seen what I've done. Now let's get to work. And what is that work? The work of showing the world that he will have to suffer and die. And we know that Peter doesn't want to hear that. And Jesus rebukes him loudly and strongly. When you're on a mountaintop, you see where you've been, but you also see where you are going. And that's what the transfiguration story is about. Now Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He is starting that long 40-day walk. We too, in our own lives, have been on 40-day walks. Trials and travails, sometimes feeling as if we too have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. 
And it hasn't been fun by any stretch of the imagination. It's been painful and hurtful. But we know that when we come out the other side, it will be Easter. And that is exactly what we're thinking as we begin Lent. Forty days later, we will be celebrating yet again the resurrection of Jesus. But I'm getting ahead of myself, as usual. So the three men are standing on the mountaintop, slack-jawed, let's face it. How many people are standing there with two other, shall I say it, ghosts up here and are standing talking to their friend? Not many of us have witnessed that. We may feel that there's another presence standing next to us or near us, but it's rare we see someone. So what would you do? Would you run? Would you scream? Would you faint? <laughs> Elliot's saying no. He's braver than I am. Remember, you're on a mountain, so you can't run unless you plan on running down and perhaps falling down. And I was thinking about as the fog, the cloud descended on the three men and enveloped as well the disciples, so there are six of them in this cloud, of the time we went to Machu Picchu, and it, of course, was the rainy season, because why not? And we stood at the top on Mount Picchu, Machu Picchu, and a cloud descended over us, and we couldn't see the edge of where we were standing. All we could hear were disembodied voices, laughing and giggling and yelling to one another. And because Peru isn't, as I said at 8 o'clock, a nanny state, there was no rail. So you were really on your own. If you chose to go too, too far, you were going to meet your Waterloo. And I remember thinking to myself how the disciples must have felt when they too were enveloped by that cloud, not knowing what was in front of them or behind them, and then hearing a voice such as I heard But this voice is the voice of God. And the voice of God tells the men, this is my beloved. Or some versions in the gospel say, this is my dear one. Or this is the one I love. Beloved sounds kind of out there. But my dear one, the one I love, really makes one think about how the relationship between God and Jesus is. It is Father and Son. It's not two disembodied voices calling to one another. So the disciples hear the voice, 
and suddenly the cloud disappears. And so do Elijah and Moses. And it's just the four men. And as they descend down the mountain, Jesus tells them to not tell anyone. This in the Gospel of Mark is what is known as the Messianic secret. Think about how many times through the 16 chapters of Mark, Jesus tells them not to say who he is. And we finally hear in chapter 16, after Jesus has breathed his last, the centurion saying, this was God's son. But until that point, not even the disciples know who Jesus is. They can't get their head around why he has come down to earth, why God would descend like a cloud to envelop us. Because God is going to enter into the messiness of our lives. He's going to see really what humans are all about. And it's not always sweetness and light. Yes, it is picking dirty underwear up off the floor. And yes, it is stroking a sweaty brow when someone is sick. It is being there for people we don't like and people who may not like us. Because God's love doesn't differentiate between us and them. It's just us. So as we begin the walk to Lent, I invite you to ponder and think about what would force God or why would God choose to come down among us, to come face to face with the evil that is present in the world today, to feel what we feel and see what we see and still love us anyway, just as we love one another through the messiness of life. Amen.